0: So unchecked. we stop, them from, talking, stop yeah. them
1: from talking to each other so much?
0: Reduce the frequency and severity and... So we uh, muzzle them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we muzzle quiet. the
1: receptor. Just, yeah, decrease Why the frequency. Why so you muzzle? I, just,
0: I mean, <laughs> I, that's another probably episode altogether.
2: <laughs> Dear Sigmund.
0: I'm Dr. J.P. Sham and I'm a Board Certified Psychiatrist and Board Certified Forensic Psychiatrist. Um, And uh, yeah, this is what I do. I talk to people and Mm -hmm. I try, I guess my MD, I should qualify a psychologist being different than a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist goes to medical school Mm -hmm. uh, and can prescribe medication. And a psychologist is a PhD and they do generally talk therapies. Well, generally PhDs. Mm -hmm. There are some Mm -hmm. PsyDs, I think.
1: Yeah, the P-S-Y-D. That's what we call PsyD. And I'm Shana Miller. I'm an LCSW, so I'm not a PsyD or an MD, but instead a licensed clinical social worker um, specializing in behavioral health. And the owner of Apricity Behavioral Health, which is an online um, therapy practice meeting the needs of expats living overseas, American expats living overseas.
2: Dear Sigmund, what is the cause of overlapping symptoms between many major mental illnesses, i.e. depression, anxiety, ADHD, etc.? How are psychiatrists able to distinguish between the different mental illnesses or determine a diagnosis of multiple illnesses with similar symptoms?
0: Wow. This is a golden question. One that I could probably spend no, I will spend the next hour talking about... Oh, no, no I'm, just kidding. I'm will, just
1: kidding. You will give us cliff notes. You will give us cliff notes. I would just say... I'm going to just summarize everything he's going to say right now. <laughs> Good, and I say, like this. The we translator. use the DSM-5. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah which is all- our little book. Not little. It's like a gazillion pages that goes through and it says, if they display X symptoms... X amount of time, you know, like it basically tells us if they do X, Y, Z, then it is this. This is what we call it. I also want to qualify though with like there are people that don't believe in the DSM five. Yeah. You know, yeah, I always called
0: Scientologists. Oh gosh, no, we're gonna get so no, people gonna write oh, in. Oh, oh man, I opened the floodgate.
1: Leah Remini is now your friend. <laughs> She's gonna friend you on Facebook. Um. There are people that don't necessarily believe in the DSM5, right? Because it's too it pigeonholes people, right? There are people that believe that all of these diagnoses that we give can be traced back to some sort of experience that caused them to be this way.
0: Well, there and there is a lot of value in that. I right. will say, you know, I, I try to break it down of nature versus nurture a lot when you say that. It's like I try to identify with the folks that I work with, is this born of true pathology of a neurochemical imbalance, which is probably genetically dictated, or is this nurture, right? So that was the nature part. Or is this nurture? And something happened to you in Their your life that them has caused demons this. told
1: going to get them at nighttime and then lock them in the room. From the last so episode. Sort it out. Yes. That
0: was from our last episode. Exactly. The um, Or is it a combination of both? And schizophrenia has a really unique kind of balance in between. It's a two-hit hypothesis. We say you have a genetic predisposition, and then something... In your experience, or yeah, turned on the gene epigenetics turned on the gene uh, that made it possible for schizophrenia to express itself. I think I went into that into a previous episode. If not, a writer can ask us that question again because a a very interesting theory. Yes, (laughs) the um, great question: How can I differentiate different diagnoses that are similar? I often tell my patients that I try to make a diagnosis of one diagnosis that explains a multitude of symptoms. So there's often people that come to me and they're saying, I've got depression, I've got anxiety, I've got bipolar disorder, and I have schizophrenia. And I'm like, no, you don't. This is an accumulation of a bunch of people identifying different signs and symptoms in you. And what we're going to do together uh, over the next X time is figure out what is the most likely causative singular diagnosis or a couple diagnoses. So um, ADHD, she asked about ADHD and anxiety. That's one that often gets overlapped. Um, so I'll just pick apart that one for a moment. Um, Distractability is one of the key features of Depression. Uh, depression oh excuse me anxiety. of anxiety of anxiety yeah and depression i mean all anxiety many leads to depression yeah i'm a
1: firm believer that anxiety is at the root of a lot of the non-personality disorders
0: i think you're absolutely right i think you're absolutely right
1: but if we can drill down and figure out what that anxiety is we can resolve the other symptoms then that are out there that we give a different title to
0: yes yeah i uh so in this ADHD thing, I can't concentrate, I can't focus, I can't remember. Uh, oftentimes, I talk to somebody, and it turns out they're not remembering because they're not listening. So I'll be sitting here talking during this podcast, <laughs> and uh, and you know, twenty huh? minutes down the line, yeah, somebody's gonna be like, he didn't say that. Well, it's because what you were thinking about was, wait a second, I got to go pick up my kid from daycare. Oh, my gosh. I got to go buy this thing for dinner and I got to make sure that I don't burn, you know, the eggs at home when I'm cooking the dinner because I also have this conference call at the same time. This is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could just add, 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 add things. That is anxiety driving you to be totally preoccupied with the future and things that could possibly happen, that you're not focused on the here and now, you're not listening to my voice and actually processing it into the hippocampus, which is the memory center. So you're not actually processing what I'm saying, you're just looking at me and nodding as I'm talking, but you are thinking about a thousand other things, so tomorrow when I say, hey, remember that thing I talked about yesterday? Like, nope, I must have Alzheimer's disease or ADHD cuz I can't focus, I can't Can I? concentrate. But it turns out it's just anxiety. It's just um, I can't bring my brain into stop worrying. Can I tell worrying. you a secret? Yeah, yeah.
1: After I had the twins and I was I had to do almost 2 years by myself raising them from when they were 18 months till they were about 3 years old. I actually had a neuropsych workup cuz I thought I had Alzheimer's as well.
0: No kidding. How old were you?
1: Uh 38. Yep. yep. And the doctor looked at me, he's like I'm telling you it's not. I'm like I we need to do this yeah. now. You need to start losing me it. on Alzheimer's medication. And he goes, you got a lot going on. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm fine. He's like, okay. You know, the man was patient with me, but I really thought I was losing it. Yeah. And looking back on it, sleep deprivation, yep. single parenting, under twos, they were not easy. They were not easy. Right? And yeah. Everything that goes along with that, and here I am, like I think I'm losing. I think I think I have Alzheimer's. Rather than looking at the environment, what was causing me, and accepting my brain's limited capacity to process a certain amount of information at mm-hmm. a time.
0: Very well, very well put. Case in point. That's exactly right.
1: Maybe I do have Alzheimer's.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't want to tell you, but you know, okay. Okay.
1: when I get really agitated. <laughs>
0: um so there's this idea that um you know we can also run around and just diagnose anybody with anything but to shannon's point earlier anything yeah we can but we can't identify a true origin of a mental illness that is diagnosable because we have what you were talking about before this dsm-5 criteria which is major depressive disorder for two or two or more weeks most of the day, more days than not, have you had X, and then associated with those periods, five of the following symptoms. Mm-hmm. So so it's a really methodical way that we can look at these things. And if you have a skilled clinician, that clinician can start to really tease apart what is driving these thoughts, what is driving these behaviors, what is really the true origin of this.
1: What if I have a, eh, okay, clinician?
0: The, Find a better one. (laughs) Well, and and in in that case, honestly, if you don't trust your clinician, you're not going to trust the treatment. And if you don't trust the treatment, you're not going to get better. Um, That's that's a great question. Um, I've never had that experience personally. really? Yeah, no. None of my patients feel that way.
1: How's how's it feel? How's it feel, really? (laughs) Was that narcissist uh, criteria that I'm meeting? Covert or overt? (laughs) Let's figure this out.
0: This idea um, also that, uh, you know, misdiagnoses, um, I don't want to say are common, but I want to say it is easy to misinterpret behavior uh, because we as humans interpreting behavior of other humans is kind of a, you know, it's a difficult process. I'll say that. Um, So it it can take time. Um, But also people, people
1: show you what they want to show you, right? So I can diagnose what you show me. Yeah. But if you're not showing me the full picture, there's no way you're gonna get an accurate diagnosis. Good point. So I often tell that to my clients. I will, if you really need a diagnosis, I'll diagnose what you're telling me. In other words, I'll take the symptoms you've given me and fit it into my DSM-5 and see what the words are that it spits out. That doesn't capture who you are. Yeah. It also doesn't account for the things that you don't trust me enough yet to share.
0: Mm-hmm
1: right because that's a real thing too like you really it's an intimate thing you really have to trust that person to really share what's really going on you know that next level down
2: mm-hmm. you know the
1: the the level that like you're not really going to tell anybody right Very so that's where misdiagnoses can come in as well as like well based on what i was told mm-hmm. this, this is, is the, the diagnosis. Most accurate diagnosis but then is it it moves on and there's a comfort level and it's sort of like you get more of a, a more holistic view yes of it the diagnosis can evolve yep as well
0: agreed agreed a thousand percent yeah that's happened to me time and time again um
1: but you're definitely not the mediocre clinician <laughs> well, you're too kind <laughs> i know no, I'm just kidding. i <laughs> <laughs> just kidding.
0: No, I will say, too, that um, uh, it's different in therapy, too, because I am sometimes the gatekeeper for medications that people want. So they will also push forward symptoms that they want me to believe in. So I also have this added concept of, you know, is this person looking for a treatment and pushing forward the diagnostic symptomatology. So people come
1: to you and you judge them.
0: Well, no, they'll tell me that they have severe ADHD and uh, that they need, you know, X milligrams of Adderall, You know, or of Ritalin immediate release, and I need this. And it turns out I realize that this person actually has a severe, you know, addiction issue, or you know, some substance use disorder in the past. And I really, you know, that is the thing that needs treatment, not the ADHD, which is what they're pushing forward. So I kind of have to read between the lines sometimes. Judge.
1: (laughs) That's called judging.
0: (laughs) And I and I do I do a fair job. You know, I think that there's a question. I scanned the questions. I think there's one coming up later or in the next episode kind of about um, how people diagnose ADHD or stimulants or something about that. So I can get into that later. Mm -hmm. Dear
2: Sigmund, what kind of a psychologist or psychiatrist would someone go to for discussing a potential diagnosis of ADHD? For how long would a psychiatrist need to meet with the patient before a proper diagnosis?
0: Perfect timing.
1: Boom! (laughs) Jesse's
2: on it.
0: This is a really uh, delicate question. So the first part of the question is what form of a psychiatrist or psychologist would I have to go to? So in order to get the medication, you need to go to a psychiatrist.
1: Right. But to get the diagnosis, you have to go to any qualified health professional. Yep. What the hell does that mean? What's a qualified health professional? Yeah. Right? that's a, Yeah. So it would be a clinical social worker like myself. Yep. It would be an MD yep. like yourself. Yep. PsyD, All right. PhD. Right. Right. Or a nurse practitioner, right? yes. So, in order to get that like official diagnosis, you have to see one of those people. In order to get medication to treat it, you've got to go to the psychiatrist. Can a nurse practitioner prescribe? Yes, a nurse practitioner yeah. can. Sub- and depending on prescribe. the
0: state, they may need a supervising clinician. Like yep. an MD supervising yep. them or a DO. Whatever. But you're yep.
1: definitely not going to get the drugs from me, a clinical social worker. But the thing is, you don't necess- there isn't like a timeline of how long do I have to spend with this doctor for them to really understand. There is very specific criteria that you have to meet for it. And it's mm-hmm. not just in one environment. We need to see it across a couple environments. So like, are you acting this way at home and at school? Are you acting this way at school and at work? Are you acting this, you know, it's not just in one environment. Because if it's in one environment, that tells us it's the environment, not organic to you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so that's one of the things that we're looking for is, is it across multiple things? And often what we'll do is, I know in little kids, they have um, forms that we send out to teachers and caregivers that interact with, the person who we suspect has ADHD and say, "Hey, fill this out. Tell us what you observe." The right.
0: Vanderbilt Rating Scale. They call that <laughs> yes. fancy
1: swanky. I, don't know I call it the the paper. <laughs> <laughs> I get a piece of paper that I
0: photocopied for you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the one I got to put the check marks on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, so the, and and then you're
0: exactly right, Shannon. That there's a Vanderbilt uh, Teacher Rating Scale, this, and this is for kids. This this. I think the person asking this question is probably an adult. Maybe they're asking for their child or maybe for adult-onset ADHD. But uh, there's like a teacher rating scale, and then there's a parent rating scale, Uh, and there's a a bunch of other rating scales um, that we utilize. But often, like you were saying, clinical judgment is really a part of it too because, you know, personally, I have to read between the lines and say, What's the motivation for this person seeking medication? Because there are other treatments, right? There's organizational techniques, there's therapies, there's things that you can really do without any medication intervention to help these things. Uh, by the time you somebody sees like me. you just, like, numbing people
1: out. you just, well, <laughs> like,
0: prescribing things. <laughs> it's just people are, you know, they eventually make it to me. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, I see a very small percent of the population, you know, people that have sur- superseded the the ability for the primary care doctor to treat them medically and the therapist to treat them therapeutically. And then finally they say, well, you got to see a subspecialist. And then they call a subspecialist, and they find out that it's this unbelievably tremendous waiting list to see you know time mm-hmm. to see you a professional and then finally they see me and now you know they say well hey doc i've got 30 minutes to see you i gotta go but here's what i got i got you know a b c and d boom can you just give me some stimulants and i'm gonna be out of here and the answer kind of to like, this question yes. is yeah, sure n- n- no how the many is no. a year's
1: worth <laughs> let me just with a lot of with people get in a lot of
0: trouble for that yeah
1: i know Which, and and
0: uh, so i'm a little so more why don't conservative. you do that
1: then why don't you do that
0: because there are, there are tremendous side effects to many of these medications. And if you get the diagnosis wrong, you know, speaking of the last question is how do you differentiate between diagnoses? There are s- certain diagnoses that if you get the treatment wrong, you are actually going to hurt the symptomatology or, or worsen the symptomatology. So if your diagnosis is anxiety... I guess it's ADHD. I put you on a stimulant. Guess what stimulants (laughs) do for anxiety, right? Through the roof. It just revs it. It's just pouring kerosene on the fire of anxiety, and it's like just tenfold. Now I've got all this energy to focus on all these anxieties. So it can worsen these things. Um,
1: And that's why you want to see clients back within, what is it, two weeks? Is that typically what you do? Take this for two weeks? Let's talk. On the see availability of the
0: provider, it depends on yeah h- how often. But basically, you, you want to see the them provider. in a very
1: short increment, and then you start spacing the increments out. Yeah. Once you develop confidence that like okay, we're on it, we've we've nailed down the right pharmacological intervention with the symptomatology. Yeah. And
0: and then there's a a huge, wide dosing range. (laughs) Beautiful. I'm going to write it down. i learn to spell that later. It's not every
1: day. It's not
0: every day. Uh, And then there's giant dosing ranges between these medications and understanding what the side effects are. And does the benefit outweigh the side effect? Because that's a huge component of medication is, you know, a lot of people have side effects. But does the benefit outweigh the side effect? Is the side effect intolerable? Is there a better medication that wouldn't have the same side effect but have the same benefit? Uh, Are you on other medications or have other medical diagnoses that may not, you know, coincide with a medication that I'd like to put you on? There's a lot of thought that goes into this. Um, And also, there are some, you know, we're talking about stimulants, uh, which is kind of the way I started to answer this question. But often, as a provider, I will go to non-stimulant pharmacological intervention to start. Uh, uh, Stratera is a wonderful one, Uh, you know. Hopefully we can pick them up as a supporter. I'm just kidding, um, but no, there you're are non <laughs> No, I, I mean, I'd love that, but that would be so unethical. I couldn't do it. But uh, but that you know, strattera, wellbutrin, um, alternative <laughs> uh, medications that are FDA approved for treatment of ADHD that don't have the same side effects as stimulants. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's a lot of thought process that goes into this, and sometimes. Uh, providers will be more comfortable with non-stimulant, which are non- um,
1: So they treat everyone FDA. like they're a drug seeker?
0: Uh, no, more so that I just know that there are higher risks to these. Low appetite. I've seen people go, become flagrantly psychotic from stimulants. Psychotic. And I'm saying like delusions, hallucinations, fixed false beliefs from that Ritalin? cause them- yes. Yes. Now, you know, these cases are rare, few and far between, but it can happen. And every medication has some, you know, certain risk to it. But um, certain ones have more addictive potential, more um, side effects in terms of psychosis or mood instability or worsening of anxiety. So I think general practitioners will probably err on the side of the ones that have less severe side effects, like Sorterra or Wellbutrin. Mm -hmm. I like Wellbutrin personally because— Heck, if this is ADHD, or if this is anxiety, you know this has a component of treating a little both, of both. Right? Yeah. Now, sometimes my high anxiety people, side. yeah, who are purely anxiety without and uh, you know uh, ADHD or inattentive components, Wellbutrin can make it a little bit worse. It can increase anxiety. Kind of revs you up, gives you a little more pep in your step, which is kind of a well, downstream of those. Wellbutrin uh, uh, is stimulants. the
1: brand name for. How do you say it? Bupropion?
0: Yeah, very good. Bupropion.
1: SR, XL. Yes. Look at me. Oh, my goodness. Look at me. Yeah. I got skills. Not allowed to talk about that. Bupropion, immediate release. There's
0: SR, sustained release. And there's XL, which is extended release. Yeah. I got knowledge. Drop that knowledge. (laughs) I know. Drop the mic.
1: Boom.
2: (laughs) All right. Next question, Jesse. Before
1: JP's head blows from all my knowledge.
2: Dear Sigmund, I was diagnosed bipolar, but the difficulties doesn't always manifest in the way I would expect bipolar disorder to. And the medicines they try seem to make things worse. Could I just not be accepting the diagnosis and making things worse for myself because I want to feel normal?
0: Mm, that is heavy.
1: That's a,
2: I would say there's a
1: likely, more likely chance that it's the wrong diagnosis.
0: Well, yeah. Oh, well. I just want to address the word normal first, right? That, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you're normal, right? Thank you. Yeah. Thank oh. you so much. <laughs> I'm looking at Shannon in the eyes as I say that. <laughs> Listener, you're normal. And Shannon, you're like almost, almost, just really close. Um, next week. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if I work really hard.
0: Um yeah, 25% of the American populace has a mental illness, right? Whether it be anxiety or a psychotic disorder or a mood disorder or some kind of pathology that really is disrupting to their life that they feel that they can uh, benefit from improving upon, and whether it be therapy or medication or whatever it is, this is becoming more and more commonly part of the human experience because of, well, things like desigmatization and identifying mental health conditions and access to mental health. These things are really improving improving, uh, our understanding of, uh, suffering, uh, mentally. So, uh, I just want to say you're normal. Uh, normal is a very gray scale right? So Mm -hmm. it is not black and white. It's like I'm normal or I'm not normal, but normal has a very gray sliding scale. And at some point in there, yeah, sure, you can meet diagnostic criteria for things that we feel that we can help you with either pharmacologically uh, and then shy of that many, many things that can be helped through therapy and in therapy during the diagnostic, you know, concurrent with medications. So I just want to Put that out there to start. Um,
1: But but I would say the diagnostic criteria that you would need in order for us to prescribe certain medications from a therapeutic perspective and working with that person because we know that mixing pharmacology with therapy is the most effective form in dealing with mental health disorders.
0: Right. Or you know, major depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, truly diagnosable, clinically significant. Yeah.
1: Right. But that, from a therapeutic perspective, I myself don't really care what the diagnosis says because it's the Mm. whole person I don't care what's billable to insurance Right. right I'll put you know like if that's what it is and we put that on the paper and that guarantees that insurance will reimburse us but in terms of treating the person we treat the person right yeah we don't treat whatever the label is you're bipolar you're this you're that it doesn't really matter
0: Great point, Shannon. Great point. Uh, and, and I do that in my practice, too. And I may separate right. myself from, you know, right. my, my colleagues that way in some degree that um, I really want to look at the whole picture. This idea of nature nurture. People do not exist nurture. in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, yes. And that nature and nurture are always present. You know, that uh, you know, thing that I described in a previous episode. Unless
1: you're doing a float session. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's where like the deprivation tanks. Oh my goodness! And then there is no. I really want to
0: do one of those. There is no nature. Just right. so the listeners know that there are these like chambers that you can go into where it's totally cut off from all light. There is a saline solution that you apparently get into and you float, and there is absolutely no noise. Apparently, you can hear like your arteries, the blood one flows by my through house. your arteries. No way! All right, we're yeah, going to do Yeah, there is. It. There's in, two in fact, by my house, listeners. Actually. This is our guarantee we're gonna do it and we're gonna report back.
1: Did you we're just commit like. me to stop? I'm
0: sorry, you have to do it. All right. Ah, I'm not sharing All my right. deprivation chamber with you either.
1: No, I don't I don't really want to share deprivation chambers because that would defeat the purpose.
0: I'm gonna deprive myself of this podcast could relationship. You
1: even tolerate, could you tolerate you, the pathological extrovert, tolerate not having any external oh, stimulus? Yes
0: solid what 6 8 seconds I see you
1: clawing. <laughs> I see you clawing the inside of this yeah, thing let me yeah. out let me out Oh
0: I'll find the fastest way out of there absolutely okay. <laughs> The um so uh, I I don't think accepting the diagnosis is really going to make a tremendous difference in terms of medication management uh you know true bipolar disorder is um where you have these swings between Uh, mania acute mania or hypomania depending whether it's bipolar 1 or bipolar type 2 respectively uh, and depressive episodes so the term for depression is unipolar depression a lot of people don't know that
1: we went over that in like episode 2 or 3 yeah perfect
0: unipolar depression right or bipolar disorder you know I either go down and then I'm normal or I go down and then at sometimes I'm normal and also at sometimes I'm up Um, so Generally speaking, the medication should reduce the severity, reduce the frequency, and reduce the duration of these episodes. There is no guarantee that these medicines will fix it altogether. So
1: what's the difference between a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant? Ooh, I just
0: gave this lecture the other day. Like Lamictal versus Prozac. Uh, so Prozac is an antidepressant in the SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor category. It lives alongside right. Celexa, Lexapro, Zoloft, uh, many that you, everyone's heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, that is...
1: How is that different than a mood stabilizer? Yeah,
0: that is a medication that is going to increase the serotonin in the... Answer? Synaptic cleft. I'm sure everyone answered at the same time. Just kidding. So the synaptic cleft is right in between. Is this like Sesame Street <laughs> <Yeah>. for psychiatry. <laughs> yes, the the two cells that kind of are like how cells communicate. So in between there, there's like a little area that shoots out serotonin, and, and then other areas that re, you know receive the serotonin receptors. So what this does is it reduces the kind of chewing up and spitting out of the serotonin, so it lets it linger longer. In that membrane, so that more receptors can be Not received all by the serotonin. Way. No, <laughs> see, like a true therapist, you're just going right in the gutter. <laughs> no, the uh, the so so that's the idea of that, and then a mood stabilizer actually works between two different. Well, there's several different ways. Lithium is in a category all by itself. It's a batteries? amazingly well, <laughs> it, 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 it is in batteries. Yes, it is an amazing. Way that this works. And at some point we can get into how lithium works, but um, it is kind of of the earth and it somewhat mimics sodium like table salt in the body. It's got a very unique and beautiful way that it works in the body. Uh, mood stabilizers, which are anti-epileptic medications or anti-seizure medications like the mictol, like Topamax, like the ones you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, are work through kind of the gabinergic or kind of reduce cellular transmission and the frequency and rapidity with which cells communicate. And then, uh, and then there is atypical antipsychotics, which is a category of second-generation antipsychotics, which work through dopamine and serotonin together. I
1: have no idea what you're oh, saying.
0: But we can go into that at a later time, and I'd love to. Okay, so
1: I get the antidepressants kind of bathe the brain in serotonin. It, 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 they we'll increase the, the amount of serotonin that's on your brain. Yes. Okay. In one sentence, what does a mood stabilizer do?
0: Uh, reduces the... Uh, cellular transmission of electrical activity. Is that a s-
1: one more level down? Oh, <laughs> one more level down. I think
2: it stabilizes. To say that you could sprinkle it like the lithium on your eggs in the morning, like you would. Yeah, right. Like salt. Right.
0: Like got electrolytes. <laughs> yeah, it's like no. Scary. The um, so <laughs> it reduces the transmission. Um, let me just think. So these were originally created for anti-seizure purposes, and seizures are kind of like. So unchecked. we stop them from talking. Stop yeah. them
1: from talking to each other so much.
0: Reduce the frequency and severity, and so we uh, muzzle them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we muzzle quiet. the receptors. Just yeah, decrease Why the frequency. Why so you muzzle? <laughs> I just. I mean. <laughs> I, that's another probably episode altogether. Ooh,
2: <laughs> the bad history experience. of psychiatry. Bad no, oh, good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like how personal this got all of a sudden. No, the idea Why is it of the. Uh, <laughs> oh man, the therapist is going to get all sorts of weird stuff out of me. <laughs> We're going to admit uh, uh, false, uh, yeah, false memories. <laughs> no, the idea of um, reducing the uh, communication between cellular transmission in the brain, uh, so but not to a negative from- degree. Right.
1: like they're basically chatterboxes going back and forth, and we just bring it down to yeah, a normal and it can be like amount. Inside of... voices. Okay, so we go from outside voices to inside voices. <laughs> yeah. That's what mood that's, stabilizers just, do. That's a wonderful way to put it. That's what I'm here for. I feel like, we're, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Okay, hmm. so what's the feeling? How does the Lamictal feel different than Prozac? So, if you put me on a mood stabilizer, how would I feel different than if I was put on? An antidepressant or an What SSRI. disease do you have? I have bipolar.
0: Okay. If I put you on an unopposed what? Prozac. So so if I put you on Prozac, which is a serotonin, right, reuptake right. inhibitor, which increases the, the amount serotonin of serotonin in your, your brain, brain. And that's that means that I diagnose you, I misdiagnose you with unipolar depression. Okay. I push up all that serotonin, guess where you're going? Mania. Mania. You're going right up into mania. What if
1: I love mania?
0: People do often love mania.
1: So why would I come back then and say, hey, take this feel-good feeling away?
0: Well, because generally speaking, to be diagnosed with a mania, you need to be... uh, Self-destructive. There needs to be some destructive nature in your life, right? It's affecting your occupational or social or XXX, you know? Um, uh, And generally speaking, true manias are very obvious and people are, you know, around you are saying... You need to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. There is something really, really wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So people who come in and say, yeah, nobody's ever said that, you know, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, I haven't had acute true manias. Um, You know, it could be hypomania. But but that's the idea between uh, the thing that brings you up with the serotonin reuptake inhibitor which kind of brings your mood up and if you overshoot it you go into mania and that's why you need a mood stabilizer to reduce that cellular transmission to keep you, you right in that middle zone same time? yes yeah especially for people with bipolar
1: so we bring them up out of the depression but the lamictal keeps them from going too high or the the mood stabilizer Wh-
0: whichever one yep okay that's exactly right so
1: we bring them up and then we moderate it
0: yeah Oh, man. There's so many things I'm thinking of. Lithium is such a You're beautiful totally medication, geeking too. Out I, on I, I, You're
1: and totally I, <laughs> geeking out on me right now. <laughs> now.
0: I will. This is my jam. Uh, lithium is lithium. Like one of the only medications that reduces um, suicide and suicidal ideation and success, um, along with Closarol, which is a second-generation antipsychotic. We could go into really but amazing- But I thought
1: lithium can make people depth. very, what'd you say, death depth depth? <laughs> depth yeah like they're just flat like no lithium can just sort of dull a person am I wrong so this like is they, they don't really respond like not I want to yeah. I want to use the word catatonic but that's too extreme so yeah. I just want to like they're just you might be like giving there. away
0: your age here too I don't know can I whisper into this microphone Go but ahead. uh but, dare
1: <laughs> you. Dare you. but but
0: lithium has gotten a really bad reputation over the years because pretty much back in the day it was used for everything
1: Uh, okay everything right
0: you got an upset child and he's being honoree and a thorn in your spine give him lithium oh you got a depressed wife who's not praying enough to you know to god give her lithium you know or lock her up you know there's like like, she saw the demon under the bed previous episode yes so so lithium used to really be this amazingly robust treatment and it's so much so that people got scared of it like, everybody was getting lithium. Anybody with any diagnosis was getting lithium. So all of a sudden, society pulled back and was like, whoa, 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 what's with this lithium thing? So kind of society got this romantic of, hey, lithium is bad. But really, it's not that bad. Now, there are side effects to lithium. People can get thyroid dysfunction. Um, it can hurt your kidneys. through. I, so do
1: you have to get, like, routine blood draws to yes, monitor this you stuff? you do. Okay.
0: You do. And generally speaking, so there's, like, a, a limit between – well, 0. 0.6 and and 1.2 or 1.0. There's there's different limitations that your doctor will monitor the lithium level in your blood over time. You must hydrate on lithium. You have to drink fluids on lithium.
2: Oh man, As opposed I to could like really, other times could spend a when we don't hours have to on hydrate. This.
0: <laughs> it's got electrolytes. Okay. <laughs> well, after
2: you put your tongue to the battery, you're gonna to want to drink something. Right? <laughs> oh,
0: Should we talk about ECT next? <laughs> Maybe.
1: I actually do have a question about that. What about people who are resistant to going on any form of medication? Would TMS or ECT be an option for people that haven't tried the the medication route? Um. ECT, by the way, is electroconvulsive therapy. treatment or therapy, yep. and TMS is transcranial, transcranial. Go ahead. Mag- magnetic yep. stimulation. Yes, yeah.
0: So one works through a true electrical impulse. You need uh, sedation and a paralytic, so we put you on like propofol and uh, you know a sedative to do uh,
1: the Michael ECT. Jackson killer drug. Well,
0: oh gosh, man, I don't want to scare anyone away from treatment, but yes. So so it is a very comfortable procedure in that route. That what we learned back in the day is that people with these severe mood disorders, severe psychosis, severe, you know, disruption in their thought process also had concurrent seizure disorders or those individuals who did all of a sudden looked way better after they had a seizure. And we learned over time that, oh my goodness, a seizure will reset something in the brain that is reducing the suffering from these mental illnesses
1: so we're like just hook them up to the electric chair and actually before
0: that we found that there was an easier way well uh, uh, a less sophisticated way of inducing (laughs) seizures which was grab
1: the wire on the fence no
0: insulin we would what yeah so the idea was dosing insulin to the point where your glucose dropped so low that you would have a seizure and then we would just reverse it by giving you glucose
1: what are we, like a mad science project?
0: Oh, this is the, this is, we humanity is always learning. We are always learning. But it is, in medicine, it's always to reduce suffering. So while this sounds barbaric or this sounds like a really traumatic, these, these were things to reduce suffering because these people were suffering so greatly that this therapy, as terrifying as it sounds, was a relief to these so people. So
1: we induced a seizure by withholding glucose actually injecting, injecting insulin glucose. to reduce okay.
0: the glucose which causes seizure and then and that out did of it, work that yeah, did yeah, reset yeah.
1: so like once they had the seizure
0: people feel better people
1: feel a lot better yeah, okay so then kind of resets would you suggest somebody do that if they've not been willing to try any of maybe what we commonly call the lower-level interventions like medication <sighs> like the the prescri- prescription medications
0: there may be some people that I might but here's the problem with Um, ECT. It is a very expensive and um, time-consuming procedure that there are probably lesser interventions that may be worth trying prior, A. And B, one of... (laughs) One of the sadly most limiting things is that insurance companies don't want to pay for it until you've failed so many other things because Mm -hmm. it is expensive. Mm -hmm. And uh, so insurance companies are say, you must have failed A, B, and C, and trialed this, and if all those have failed, then we can turn to ECT. But truly, at the heart of things, ECT is one of the most effective and rapid treatments that we have.
1: And what about TMS?
0: There, I, I will say the jury's still on TMS. There's some great and wonderful studies that are that are showing that TMS is demonstrating improvement uh, in individuals with certain symptomatology. I will say, talk to your doctor about it. Um, it is. Also, similarly, somewhat difficult to get insurance to approve it, so sometimes you're put out of pocket for it. But it is certainly worth exploring because it is a magnetic stimulation of a very specific area of the brain uh, just near the the motor cortex that that we believe, well, evidence has fleshed out, uh, can improve mood. With with repetitive, so it's actually not called TMS, called rTMS or repetitive mm-hmm. transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, and that is but what the actually R is can help. It is lowercase Is That is interesting. Uppercase. Yeah,
1: because yeah. repetitive what doesn't warrant the capital yeah, it's just there? like kind of like oh, but you got to do, do it a lot. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> just so you know, you got to do it a lot. <laughs> yeah. So does does TMS hurt?
0: No, no. Um. It is. It can be uncomfortable because it's loud. Mm -hmm. and you kind of got to sit there for a while Mm -hmm. and you got to do it a lot
1: what do you mean a lot like i think it's daily for like a couple weeks the rest of your life no like sorry several weeks yeah yeah for a
0: set period of time okay in fact i'm happy to actually uh i'm gonna look into current criteria on how to do it one of my one of my good friends and colleagues does that uh for for our hospital group oh yeah Okay. You could call her. We get like a little podcast. Brain guest mapping person.
2: Are <laughs> you gonna volunteer yourselves for that as well?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and brain you got mapping. five minutes on Saturday? Right. Do
0: <laughs> uh, I don't even know what brain mapping is. What do you mean by brain mapping?
1: I don't know. You're the doctor. Well, I don't just, I don't know. you can
0: just make up terms. Well, but and for TMS,
1: like... <laughs> I thought that they had to sort of pinpoint where oh, they yes. wanted to target. Oh, so yeah, they're gonna yeah. map out Sorry. where they think the pathway needs to be reworked yes correct so
0: there is a certain area of the brain that we target and we do that through um kind of stimulating the magnet in certain areas and then identifying the exact area where it will be most effective or as evidence is fleshed out to be most effective
1: okay okay so to circle back to the person's question um we don't think that the medication is necessarily making things worse, or you're not accepting the bipolar diagnosis is making things worse. Yeah,
0: no, and uh, honestly, there's room for second opinions always, mm-hmm. right? So if you feel like, hey, it's not me that's not accepting it, maybe I'm misdiagnosed, or maybe there's an alternative explanation for what's going on. I know that bipolar often gets misdiagnosed. I don't want to say that you know too do um, blanketed, but um, but there are times when, yeah, maybe this is not the most accurate diagnosis, or maybe the medication just isn't right, or maybe the dose of the medication isn't right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have bipolar disorder, the medication is working, but you're also having, having variations of mood and affect based on day-to-day life and lack mm-hmm. of coping skills. Or maybe there's other explanations mm-hmm. as to what's happening day-to-day, even though the severe episodes of mood disorder, depression, and mania are in fact, reduced.
1: Okay. Okay. So that's going to bring this episode to a close. If you have any questions, email us, um, dearsigman.com. You can visit us there. Click on our, our link to either leave us an audio message, which we really prefer because we really want to hear your voice. Um, email us your question. Everything's anonymous. We don't have to know anything more than what you tell us. Um, and we look forward to hearing from you.
0: And thank you for listening. Yeah. Really. I feel like I drone on and I go down these weird tangents and I just, I'm thankful did. anybody listens to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but again, don't replace anything that your doctor, that you're under the care of. Um, anything that doctor has said supersedes by a long shot. Anything that we have said here, um, we are doing this with a limited amount of information and therefore we're only doing it for educational um, and entertainment purposes yes so, and anyone
0: really please seek help if, if you really feel like you know there's any imminent danger suicidal homicidal you know risk to yourself or others seek treatment immediately people will not judge you you walk into help. an er yeah
1: just go walk into the er and say help me yeah
0: all right thanks for listening